0: Oh, thank you very much. So wonderful this morning for my granddaughter to be emceeing. Yeah, my granddaughter was emceeing this morning inside of my daughter. Oh gosh, everybody, come on, wake up. You're all like, we weren't asleep, we've just... I weren't expecting such an awkward statement, first thing. (laughs) You know, becoming a grandfather was the best and biggest promotion I've ever had in my whole life. I love you, Jude, with all my heart. You're an amazing grandson. Yay. (laughs) Fill him up, Holy Spirit. Whoa. Yay, well good morning Catch the Fire Church family. How are you all? Good, good, wasn't that an amazing time of worship and just praise and you know, I love it, I love it, we, we emphasize worship so much but actually uh, it's praise and worship and that was a master class in both and I just thank you so much Brian and Pauline. Oh, this is so good having you back. Leading us and being part of the Catch the Fire Wider family. And uh, it's awesome. The Holy Spirit's really prospering them in Ireland. And uh, they've just received their visa for the United States, renewed again. And they've been here for a whole month. And God's been using them in a really mighty way. And God's using them mightily in the nations. And it's just so awesome to see it. And we bless you. Wow, to rise up and be the awesome champions on an international level that God's called you to be, to be an amazing father and mother, not just of worship leaders and, uh, and uh, you know, people that are involved in high praise and musicians, but also in the wider church and the wider body of Christ in raising up the next generation uh, to be a generation of radical, fiery lovers of the Holy Spirit, just like you both. And and we bless you both. We command in the name of Jesus for the angels of heaven to cause tremendous prosperity with you everywhere you go, for the uh, wells of prosperity to open up in Jesus' name, for finances to be poured out upon you both, upon your children, upon your whole ministry. And in Jesus' name, we command healing, virtue, liquid golden honey to begin to flow in amazing ways as you lead worship all across the world. Get ready, God's gonna start bringing people out of wheelchairs, blind eyes are gonna start opening, deaf ears are gonna start opening. God says, because you've been faithful and honored me in the secret place, I'm gonna be faithful and honor you in the public place, Brian and Pauline, and I'm gonna upgrade you in the anointing, and you're gonna see all the deepest desires and the longings of your heart of the great supernatural power of God being ministered while you're leading worship right across the body of Christ, and also I see you doing it out on the streets, and, and the Holy Spirit and the angels of God gathering whole crowds together and basically pouring such an anointing upon you both that the kingdom of heaven crashes in and breaks in and people are healed and people del- delivered and people are set free and I even see it becoming churches being planted out of these amazing, amazing meetings that you're going to do in public places, whether it's town halls, village halls, city halls, whether it's out in the open air, you name it, God's going to give you fresh ways. He's going to put you together with mighty evangelists and mighty apostolic leaders and mighty prophets, and you're going to be involved in extraordinary meetings that are at the cutting edge of everything that the Holy Spirit is doing right here on planet earth. Shikabanga to the 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 glory of God. Mm. Thank you, Lord. I want to speak this morning, whoa, on the beauty of organized church. I'm so glad that the Bible never likens the church to an amoeba. An amoeba is a single cell. An amoeba is actually uh, having studied biology a very, very long time ago. I already feel as though I'm beginning to walk out on the water out of the boat here. But amoeba is a single cell organism that literally has uh, all kinds of things that are organized within it, but at the end of the day, it is a single cell organism. And we are not likened to ever to a single cell organism. We are likened to the body. The body. And when you look at a human body, it is a highly sophisticated, beautiful organization. In fact, it is an organization of multiple organizations. And I love the word organization. Some people hate the word organization, okay? I'm not gonna ask for a show of hands, but there's a lot of people, okay, in the church and outside of the church, in fact, it's, I think it's probably been trendy since the time began, that human beings, we get frustrated with organization, unless we're leading it, and then we love it. But generally speaking, we shy away from anything that we feel is, like, organized or I'm, I'm, I'm being asked to do something. I, I feel controlled, for crying out loud. I, I, I want a spontaneity. That's what I want. I want to be free and spontaneous. Yeah, like a river. <laughs> Except we forget that a river is only a river because it's got banks. And if it doesn't have banks, it's a swamp. I want to be free, I want to be organized, I want to be free, I mean, I, I don't want to be organized, I just, want to, I just want to flow without any control, as long as I'm in control. I mean, did I say that? How could I say that? We have this desire for freedom, we have this desire for spontaneity, but do you know something? Freedom comes at an incredible price. I think it was, it was Murray who told me something that Jonathan David Helser's bassist told him, When Murray went up to uh, this individual, the bassist, do you remember his name, Murray? Chris. He went up to Chris at at one of of the amazing meetings that they had been leading. I I forget, it might have been in a conference. And he went up to Chris and he said, Chris, you guys are spectacular musicians. You're a spectacular band, just like this band this morning were. And it seemed, didn't it, like our, you know, Brian and the whole band who because they're such amazing musicians, it seemed like they were able to flow wherever they wanted, but I bet you anything that they practiced like there was no tomorrow. And not only that, but if you think about the sum total of the number of hours that each of them have put in in their own lives to become extremely accomplished musicians, to be able to get up onto the platform and flow and go weave in and out between songs the way they did, it's easy to think, wow, they're so free, there's no control, it's just amazing. But Chris told Murray, yeah, we flow like that and and, and we can, it seems like we're going everywhere we want to spontaneously, but spontaneity is the reward of discipline. That's a good word, isn't it? (laughs) We don't always like that because we love spontaneity, but we don't like discipline quite as much, do we? But I wanna talk with you this morning about the beauty of organized church. Because organized church takes organization. And organization is actually a beautiful word when we understand that it starts with the word organ. And an organ is a living entity, in fact, We love food that's organic. And just put your hand on your heart for just a moment and just say, Holy Spirit, would you help me to treasure that which is living and to recognize that living things are organized. The early church was actually highly organized. We tend to think that the early church was very organic without the ization next to it. Organization. We tend to think that the local that the early church was organ, was organic, but it didn't have the isation part of it. It didn't have the order and the structures that goes with the isation part. We tend to think that it was very fluid. That there was, uh, you know, people who, having been saved, merely experienced church in their homes, but, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to realize that the Book of Acts is a story of a highly organized people that were called the early church, that were called the church then that we refer to as the early church. Yes, it's true. There are many references uh, to the church being in houses. Uh, we think, you know, there's. Well, let me just let me just pull up my notes here and. Uh, I wonder if um, somebody in my, on the front row there could, could bring my Apple Pencil. Oh, feels so good. It's right under you, Kate. Kate, it's right in that brown folder that's under you. I forgot my Apple Pencil, everybody. And I just want to use it in front of you all because <laughs> it's just so dynamite. Thank you very much. Just look at this, everybody. This is not an Apple Pen. This is an Apple Pencil. Yeah. You know why... I realize why they call it an apple pencil because you have an eraser yeah it's awesome yeah and uh, I went out and bought a 12.9 inch apple look at that I bought it I bought it because I asked the Lord for the finances for it because Kate and I couldn't afford it and I didn't want to buy it within the organization And so I bought it myself because the Lord gave us the money for it. How many of you would like something in your heart right now? You just would like something. Yeah? Just ask the Holy Spirit right now for it. Just ask him right now for it. And he will give it to you because that's what he's like. So. Excuse me while I navigate my... Okay, I'm going to give you some house church examples. Acts chapter 8 verse 3. Saul was ravaging the church, entering it, entering house to house, pulling out and dragging out the believers. Okay? Aquila and Priscilla in Romans 16 verse 4. Aquila and Priscilla, Paul says, Greet also the church that's in their house. Greet the church that's in Aquila and Priscilla's house. Romans 16:23. Gaius, Paul says, Gaius is the host, my host and also the host of the whole church that meets in Gaius's house. 1 Corinthians 16 verse 19, Paul refers to Aquila and Priscilla and the church that's in their house again. Colossians 4 verse 15. Paul refers to Nympha and the church that meets in her house. Right there is living testimony that there were women in leadership in the early church. In Philemon chapter... uh, In Philemon verse 2, Paul refers to Philemon, Athia and Archippus and the church that meet in your house. But... Although there are references to the church meeting in people's individual houses, I'm going to put the pencil down, otherwise you're going to remember nothing else but the pencil with me waving it around. We see that there are multiple references to more than the church that meets in a, per- person, a particular person's house. There are multiple references throughout Acts to the whole church or the entire church in a city being gathered together. How many of you know that there's not a single house that has ever been able to host the entire population of a church in an entire city, unless there's a very few people saved in that city? But we know, for example, in Ephesus, that there were 40,000 believers, By the end of Paul's life. When Timothy took the church over, he took over a church of history, says perhaps 40,000 believers. When Paul talks about the whole church gathering, how many of you know that there's not a house that can fit 40,000 people? In Acts chapter 5, verse 11, it says that great fear came upon the whole church. Everybody say whole church. In Acts chapter 14, verse 27, it says, when they arrived, they gathered the church together. When they arrived, they gathered the church together. If, they were only in, if the church was only in one house, there would have been a different statement there. They would have said they went to the house and there was the church. But it says that when they arrived, they gathered the whole church together. Don't buy into the notion that the church was merely small and in a house alone. There were multiple houses and there were multiple moments where the church at large gathered together, either in wide open spaces or in Solomon's portico, the temple, Solomon's temple, or there was, uh, not, not Solomon's temple, sorry, the temple that was in existence in Jerusalem at that time. Uh, The temple portico, they gather together a wide open public space with all kinds of uh, space for large numbers of people. They reckon that the Jerusalem church could have been up to 70,000 members. We know that 3,000 people got saved in one day, and yet it talks about the whole church gathering together. Again, there's only wide open spaces that can accommodate 3,000 people. For us, with our weather, 3,000 people gathering, it's plausible to understand why God would allow the church to function and happen within a building that was large enough for whatever the size of his particular congregation that he has in a particular place. For us right here, this gathering right here, we've got how many seats today? Maybe 700 seats, something like that. As you can see, there's a few seats empty, but it's, it's beginning to get full, isn't it? right? And the problem with buildings is that buildings can confine growth. And so we have to constantly find ways for the whole church of Catch the Fire to gather such that we're not inhibiting the multiplying growth that the Holy Spirit wants to bring to us as a church family. We have to think of innovative ways to manage growth within our buildings. One way is to manage growth by having house, church in houses, or church in coffee shops, or church in, uh, out in the open. Small church, like they had in the early church, but God also wants to have and host church where all of those houses and all of those groups gather together. And there's multiple occasions in the scriptures where that happened. Acts 15, it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose a group of men to do such and such. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 2, to the church of God that is in Corinth called to be saints together, called to be saints together. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 18, when you come together as a church, Paul says, when you all come together, it's a bit like not just when you come together, not just when y'all come together, but when all y'all come together. (laughs) 1 Corinthians 14, 23, if therefore the whole church, everybody say whole church, (laughs) if therefore the whole church comes together. I want you to realize that when the whole church comes together, there better be some organization. Turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 6, and I'm going to show you the beauty of what can happen when the church becomes organized. Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6, and reading from verse 1, now in those days, which days? The days of the early church, the days right after resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus, the days right after the ascension of Jesus, the days right after Pentecost had happened, the days right after 3,000 got saved in one day, the days after the first initial persecution that led to and even more people getting saved. The next time they preached, 2,000. So the church was up to 5,000. Now the, here's the church up to 5,000. And also it says in the first five that chapters that God was doing such extraordinary miracles that even Peter's shadow was healing people. And the church was just exploding in growth, everybody. And it says now in those days, which days? The days of explosive growth. okay. When the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, who, my Bible tells me in the margins, the Jews that were Greek. In other words, from the diaspora that had gathered to Jerusalem. Because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. How many of you know that daily distribution of food takes organization? How many of you would agree with me about that? Now in the days when the number of disciples was multiplying, organization is necessary in the midst of multiplication. When nothing's growing, you don't need organization. But when things are growing, organization facilitates growth like very few other things. Verse 2, then the 12 summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Man, that just, to me, that just seems so kind of anti-humbleness. It's not right that we should leave our preaching of the Word of God and the ministry of the Word of God and serve tables. Well, surely if you're the apostles, you're like the forerunners, you guys should be demonstrating servant leadership more than anybody else. After all, it's only a few weeks ago or months ago that Jesus himself unwrapped, took a towel, took off his outer garments, took a towel and ended up washing all of their feet to show them that as apostles, the greatest among you should be the servant of all. And yet here they are at an opportunity to serve the widows, the Hellenist widows and their response is, it's not right that we should leave the word of God to serve tables and the reason for that ladies and gentlemen is not that they weren't humble they were very humble they had huge levels of humility why because humility is not something you practice humility is not something that you can gain humility is the fruit of face-to-face encounters with the living God and humility is what was leading them in their hearts to say where we can serve the best is by preaching and ministering the word of God to you all. And it took humility for them to be able to say, that is a greater level of service to you all than if we were waiting on the tables. It's hard for us to understand, but that's how they viewed it. And thank God they did. Because we are the beneficiaries of the fact that they did that. Because their devotion to preaching and teaching the Word of God, their devotion to the ministry of the Holy Spirit, their devotion to daily prayer is why we're all born-again Christians right now. Because they didn't abandon all of that and start serving tables alone. If they had have done, they would have failed in the ministry that they were called to. We need to understand, everybody, that the ministry that God calls me to is not necessarily the ministry that God calls my wife to. It may not necessarily be the ministry that God calls my daughters to. It may not be the same ministry that God calls my grandchildren to do. How much more, therefore, may it not be the same ministry that God calls you to do? Don't look at your neighbor and envy what they're doing and wish you could do it. Look at the Holy Spirit. Look into the face of Jesus and discover in the eyes of love, in his burning eyes of love, what is the area that you are called to serve the body of Christ in? Seek it in the, in the secret place and God will show you. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Everybody say business. There was business in the early church. Wow, that's shocking. And when you listen right now to, to what you know is the sort of pervading wind of people's opinions concerning church, a lot of people are like, church is not business. Oh yeah? How come it says it right there? Get involved in business, everybody. Business is spiritual. As long as it's done with a heart that's after the Spirit, after the Holy Spirit. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. Folks, I know that right now, and for good reason, there has been a momentum of people rediscovering that the marketplace is where we as the church are called to. And thank God that's true. But make no mistake, there are some people that are not called to the marketplace per se. They're called to equip you to be successful in the marketplace. And those people are called to full-time prayer and full-time ministry of the word. It is not either or, everybody. And don't let anybody who is championing Marketplace ministry ever make you feel that church, therefore, should merely be out in the homes and never organized and should never have people that are in full-time paid positions to do ministry. That is not right. That is not scriptural. That's not how the early church were. Yes, I agree that every single one of Jesus' apostles that are mentioned in their occupation before they met Jesus, fishermen, Levi, uh, Matthew, the tax collector, Peter, James, Andrew, Peter and Andrew, James and John, two sets of brothers that were business partners and they were fishermen and their fathers were fishermen and they had several boats. They had a whole fishing operation but there is no reference or calling from Jesus to go back to being what they were for them in the marketplace. The only time is when he discovers them after the resurrection of the dead and he told them to go back to Galilee. He didn't tell them to go back to fishing, he said go back to Galilee. And when they got to Galilee, they were, instead of waiting for Jesus, they went back to what they knew. They went back to fishing, but there's no reference after the Holy Spirit landed upon them in the upper rooms, there is no reference that James went back to fishing. In fact, he had his head, he lost his head and was, and was beheaded because of his devotion to prayer and the word of God. And Peter, Peter went on to be absolutely, fully, continually, totally occupied with prayer and the preaching of the word. Does that mean that everybody that was saved should do the same? No. Most people, ninety-eight I don't know what the figure is, but most people in the scriptures that got saved of those thousands of people, almost all of them were called to the marketplace and were called to go for it and to be the the manifestation of Jesus Christ on the earth in their sphere of influence, whether it was government, whether it was, uh, you know, business or, or, or the general in their families or wherever it was in the city or the villages that they were, yes, they were all called to manifest Jesus in that place. But don't put that together and say, therefore, there should be no organized church and there should be no people that are full-time paid to help organize that church. Are you following me, everybody? Organized church is a beautiful thing. Here in Catch the Fire Raleigh, we have people who are paid a full-time salary in order to join in with organizing this church body so that it functions in a way that allows you to be a champion in the marketplace. And unless God has called you in the secret place to aspire to that, I would encourage you to aspire to being the most amazing, godly businesswoman, businessman, government leader, you name it, whatever your vocation is, be that with all godliness and do it as unto Christ. And don't be there dreaming that, oh, one day I'll be able to be in full-time ministry with some notion that somehow in full-time ministry that's going to be less hard work for you because you don't have to put up with the F word out there. Actually, the people that are in full-time vocational ministry, leading organized ministry and organized church, I hope are working harder than anybody else, myself included. But what are we employed to do? What do we employ people in Catch the Fire, Raleigh, Durham, this local church body, and in Catch the Fire World, because we have employees in Catch the Fire World, myself included. What are we employed? What do we employ people to do? We don't employ them to do the work of being a pastor, for example, to pastor. We ask all of you to pastor. Did you hear me? We want all of you to pastor one another. Why? Because Jesus is the chief shepherd of our souls and Jesus dwells on the inside of us and Jesus is able to pastor each of us through one another. So what do we, so for example, if we were to employ somebody to be the worship pastor of this church, okay, that person would not be paid to lead worship on Sundays every day. Why? Because the purpose of employing somebody to work in a church is for that person to spend their time and their lives and their energies multiplying who they've been employed to be. I'm going to stick with worship, so you understand what I'm saying. I'm going to stick with worship leading for just a moment. If we were to employ a worship leader... The purpose of employing that worship leader would not be to lead worship on Sundays alone. The vast majority of it would be to use their skills, gifts, and abilities and what they've become an expert at to multiply other people in the congregation to become experts at leading worship. Does everybody understand that? And if you take that, whether it's somebody in the finances. In the beginning, we had somebody counting All of the offerings, the tithes and the offerings that come in every week. Aren't you glad that that all gets counted? Aren't you glad that there's an organization that that receives your tithes and offerings that are unto the Lord and then takes those and banks them? Can you imagine if they just stayed out there in a trash can? Thank God for organization. There's actually somebody who's in there who actually takes it, counts it, and then takes it to the bank and deposits it. But what's the purpose of employing a person to do that? It's not just to do that alone. It's for them to actually start to multiply who they are in what they do. And so we, we went, in the early days, we went, hey, listen, rather than you counting all the offerings all the time, find some really trusted senior citizens and invite them in every Monday morning to come and help you count and maybe be the ones who take it and deposit it. Why? Because we're not employing you to do the job, we're employing you to multiply the people who do the job. Does everybody get that? But without employing that person to do the job, we don't have a steward to take care of the organization of what needs organizing. Sorry, we're doing family business this morning, okay? We will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word and the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. You see, you need to be a studier of the word just to pronounce all the names right. <laughs> Whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. And then look at this, verse 7. Then the word of the Lord spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Up till this point, no priests had been obedient to the faith. But now all of a sudden, the priests of of Judaism, the priests under the old covenant, the Aaronic priests who had resisted the new covenant at this point, who resisted the new covenant at this point, who've been against Christ, now all of a sudden, when they see a fresh level of organization happening within the church, now all of a sudden, they're like, oh wow, we're all in. Which is f- incredible for me because I realized when, you only need to l- read Leviticus and Numbers to discover that God had a highly organized that God had an expectation that Israel and its worship would be highly organized. And the priests knew and understood organization, and they were not fearful of it. In fact, the priests were probably more fearful of chaos. But as soon as we see this juncture in Acts 6, as soon as seven people were appointed full of the Holy Spirit, who with a good reputation and full of faith, and they were committed to serving the widows that needed serving that were being neglected in the distribution of food, all of a sudden now the priests are like, oh, tell me about Jesus again. Tell me about the true high priest in the new covenant. And they start to get saved. Why? Because organization, when it's done well, is a beautiful thing in the church. The body needs organization. Don't be fearful of it. Don't resist it. Don't be against it. Join in and be part of it. Join in and be part of it, just like these priests. Now, just give me a moment, because my, you know, I'm I'm working through my technical challenges here, getting used to, and I feel like I'm with family, so that's okay uh, for me to. Here we go. I want you to notice. All right, the context of this story is a complaint. Guys, if there's something that happens in my heart regularly, it's a complaint towards the church. How many of you know what I'm talking about? If you're really honest, oh my gosh, church was such a nightmare today. This, that, and the other. I'm not talking about this church. I'm just talking about what we each have in our hearts, don't we? Man, You know what? If only the worship was better. If only the preaching was better. If only the organization was better. If only this, that, or if the kids ministry was better. If only the youth was better. If only that Duncan Smith would preach the word better. If only that Duncan Smith would, I don't know, do more miracles or something. I don't know. I don't know what it is, whatever our complaint happens to be. But folks, we easily find ourselves sitting in the midst of complaint in our hearts when it comes to church. Why? Because church is so imperfect and so full of imperfect people. How many of you have been hurt in the church or by the church? Put your hands up. Yeah, you see, that's reason for complaint to bubble up in the hearts. But it's what we do in the midst of complaint that counts. It's what we do, everybody. You see, here's a moment of complaint, but the apostles turn it into an opportunity prayerfully before the Lord to allow the complaint to be the very thing that causes change, that causes growth, because health comes and therefore a new level of multiplication comes. It starts with a complaint, but they use the opportunity of a complaint to actually be the springboard for a solution. Allow the complaint in your heart to become a springboard for a solution and be part of that solution. Be part of the solution. Don't join in with gossip, everybody. Seriously. You know, gossip is what you do because you don't have the courage. It's what you say to the wrong person because you don't have the courage to say it to the right person. That's gossip. You want to know what gossip is? It's when you join in with somebody else's pain about someone they don't have the courage to confront. But let's not be a people of gossip. Let's be a people, okay, that allow a legitimate complaint to become a springboard for a solution in God that causes health, which causes growth, which causes multiplication. Look at these, look at these people. How many of you know that neglecting the widows in the distribute, a group of widows in the distribution of food, how many of you know that's not a good thing? How many of you know that's a legitimate complaint that they should start complaining, Right? How many of you also have seen, okay, that the fact that they chose seven men to wait on tables shows that the eating of food happened outside of all the house churches? There was, in the local church, in the early church, there was more than house churches, there was public church. There were moments when the whole church gathered together. There were moments where hundreds of widows would gather together. So many widows, hundreds and hundreds of widows would gather together. How do we know there were so many widows? Because some were being neglected. And you would only neglect if you didn't have an organization capable of caring. If your heart was to care for widows. So they're swamped, everybody. And they're not swamped in each other's homes. They're swamped in the public place of church that they were experiencing as the early church. And the solution was to appoint these seven men. And these seven men ministered and served at tables that were not in homes. They were somewhere in some kind of public place. Do you get it? because there's something beautiful about organized church. There's something beautiful about church happening in homes. There's something beautiful about doing and being church, because how many of you know we don't go to church, we are the church. There's something beautiful about being the church in the marketplace, in your workplace. There's something beautiful about being the church in people's homes. I went to a men's group this past week, a, 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 a small men's group, that Chris and Willie were leading, and they invited me a few weeks ago to come, and I popped it into my schedule, and I went this week, this past Tuesday, and I don't know, maybe there was about eight men or so, but I had the time of my life that night with all those men. It was so good. It was church in a small setting, and it was so good, But I think every one of those men would agree if that was all that church was, it would be so lacking in the fullness of the experience that we can have. And although that small group of men was amazing and we had a great time, all of us as men were all talking about how much we love being with all 'all y'all in this room. Do you get what I'm saying? Because there's something so joyful. Worship can be amazing in a home. Worship can be amazing when all the homes get together and we all come together. But I tell you what, it takes a higher level of organization to do it when we all get together and do it well. And as a result of that, there's reason for complaint from time to time, just like there was in the early church. And when that happens, you know what the thing that I complain the most about? That it's so loud, that the music's loud. And John Arnott took me aside and he says, that's my problem. But you know what? We're we're not communicating it properly, Duncan. We need to communicate that the music needs to be, the sound needs to be at safe levels. If you tell them it's loud, it pours cold water on them. I'm like, wow, John, that's genius. But there is a legitimate reason to complain if the music is so loud that it's actually dangerous for your ears. And in this church, we endeavor to make the experience safe. And that includes our ears. And if you find that it's loud, please come and let one of the paid staff, which actually we are, are and don't all go to the sound man, please, everybody, okay? <laughs> in fact, what I would encourage you to do is don't go to anyone at all. Just write a handwritten note and drop it in the box and say, I find the sound a bit too loud. And and if there's enough people that do that, there might be, you know, reason for us to change it. I don't know. I'm just saying take your complaint, put action to it, and be part of the solution. That's what I'm really trying to get at. I hope you understand. I'm not picking on the sound. I'm just trying to give you a context for what I'm talking about so that it's real this morning, so that we're having a real heart-to-heart, because this is apostolic ministry, everybody. This is apostolic ministry. This is the body. We want to be a a healthy body. Now, if it's loud because we're all going for it and screaming and yelling, I'm sorry, but that is always going to be your problem, not mine. (laughs) Now then, I want you to notice, okay, the response of the apostles was to solve the issue not ask them to stop complaining. We always have a responsibility as leaders, whether it's leaders in business, whether it's leaders in the family home, or whether it's leaders in the church. If we're leaders, we have a responsibility to help solve the complaint, not tell people to stop complaining. Okay? Steward your heart to be a problem solver. I remember when a dear friend of mine came up to me and he said to me, this is years ago, 25 years ago. He said, you know, the problem with this church is that it's so, char- not this church, this is 25 years ago. The problem with our church is that it's so charismatic, it's so come so come Holy Spirit that, that the preachers don't preach the word enough. Now, I happen to know, okay, that this particular church allowed people, it had a passion for gifted people to be to be able to find their way onto the platform. They, they, that was their heart. It wasn't, you know, a professional priest alone preaching. And so I said to this individual, you know, the fact that you are noticing that the Word of God is not preached enough is because you are a very seasoned preacher of the Word. This person had been a missionary for years and years and decades. I said, you've been preaching the Word of God so brilliantly, and now you've come into this church, and now you're complaining that they don't preach the Word enough. You know what I would suggest you do? Go and have a chat with the with the pastor and the leaders of the church, take them out for coffee, take them out for lunch, pay for their lunch, do whatever, and tell them, you know what, I'd like to offer my services to preach the word. Start in a small group, preach the word in your own small group, and then when you get practiced enough and people start talking from your small group, they will affirm that you really are a good preacher. The actual leaders of the church will probably take you seriously and start giving you the opportunity to preach on Sundays. Do you know that's exactly what my dear friend did? He went and did exactly what I told him. And it wasn't very many months. First of all, he started preaching in a small group. And then it wasn't very many months before his reputation as a preacher grew in the body. And it didn't take long before he was regularly preaching on the platform. Why? Because his gift made room for him. Because, his, because he decided to make himself part of the solution. And how many of you know his complaint was a legitimate complaint? Come on, I'm getting excited. Now, I want to wrap this up. One of the things that we have going on right now as a church is that we have grown. I don't know if you've noticed that. And as a result of our growth, We need to find solutions for our growth. And I want you to notice that this all started in verse 1, now in those days when the number of disciples was multiplying. So I want to say this. In this day in the history of Catch the Fire Raleigh-Durham, we are multiplying right now. God is multiplying us. Small groups, ignite groups, are multiplying. The result of that, uh, and many other areas, kids ministry is multiplying. Uh, she Gathers is multiplying. Kate told me there were thirty new ladies in She Gathers on yesterday. I mean, how many of you know that's a season of multiplication? And of course, I told her as we were driving along, honey, this is just genius of the Holy Spirit because if the wives start getting excited about the Holy Spirit and about, about church, the husbands won't take long before they're right in as well, right? How many of you know what I'm talking about? So I'm excited that She Gathers is growing. I thank God for Rochelle, who's an amazing pastor in this church, who's pastoring She Gathers. Yeah, I mean, I could talk about Rochelle as, as, as a very same individual, she does the School of Revival. She graduates from the School of Revival. She discovers, wow, there's a need in this church. We need a women's ministry in this church. She comes and she talks with Ash and Kate, and she shares her heart. How many of you know that's a legitimate complaint? If the, if the women in the church are needing to be gathered and needing ministry, etc., and she comes and says, hey, I've got this dream. I feel like the Holy Spirit's giving it. Would you be okay if I start to gather women? They're like, Come on! Are you full of the Holy Spirit? Yes. Are you a person of good reputation? Yes. Are you full of faith? Yes. Check, check, check. Well done, Rochelle. Off you go. Start leading. What is your dream? She gathers is my dream. She gathers? Oh, I wouldn't have come up with that name. Kate comes back and goes, there's a name. She gathers. I'm like, wow, okay. I've never heard of that before. What a genius name. She gathers. It's perfect. Perfect. It means he can. (laughs) And so off she goes with She Gathers, and and she does so well with it. There's over a hundred women now in She Gathers. And it doesn't take long before her abilities and her skills and, and, and what she does, we start to realize it's time for you to be titled as a pastor and ordained, I mean, laid hands on and commissioned as a pastor in this church and released to lead the women's ministry if She Gathers on behalf of the leadership of this church. Phenomenal. I love it. It's just so exciting. And so right now, Our situation is this, everybody. We're multiplying and we need a solution in the midst of our multiplication. And the solution that the Holy Spirit has laid upon our hearts is that we are going to go to two services on April the 22nd, 2 2. We're going to go to two services, all right? Now, it would be very shocking to me if that didn't immediately cause in some of your hearts a complaint. But I like being all together, it's been so good. Yes, it has, but the problem is nobody else can join in, and we want we want, to, we want to allow the experience that in some respects sometimes we take for granted. I mean, sitting listening to the men this week in the small group that I was part of the, with Chris and Willie, listening to their stories, these men that were in this room, I realized, wow, Catch the Fire is really special in this area, and I... I I'm so grateful to the Holy Spirit, but I don't want to keep this experience to myself. Do you? I want the whole of this triangle region to experience it. And I just, I don't want to take any credit for this. I just want to make an observation. When Kate and I arrived, and and Murray and Ash arrived all those years ago, almost a decade ago, into this city, actually, it was a decade ago when we first arrived. There was not that much in the way of come Holy Spirit happenings. Now, I praise God with all my heart, Catch the Fire is by no means the only church or ministry, not even close, in which the Holy Spirit is moving powerfully in churches and ministries all over this triangle region. I'm not putting that all down to us. I'm putting it down to the fact that, praise God, God's eyes of affection have been on this place. Praise God for all the prayers of the saints. Praise God that revival is beginning to bubble up and birth birth in all this city. I just praise God. Let's stand, everybody. Let's stand. Today's message that I've shared with you, it's a family message. Why? Because church is family. And you know, the problem for us is that family does not necessarily mean a good thing because some of us come from broken families. You know, I went to boarding school when I was five and a half years old. I was at boarding school till I was 18. That's 13 years of two or three times a year saying bye bye to my mum and dad and my brothers and being shipped off to school. I was sitting in my hot tub just this week, touched deeply in my heart as the Holy Spirit took me back, thanks to Brian. I had a wonderful coffee with, Kate and I had a wonderful coffee with Brian and Pauline, and they were sharing their experiences of some of, some of the healing and transformation that they've experienced. And, and Brian just started to share with me this, some techniques, and I, I said to him, Brian, I want you to be my counselor. He said, oh, I will be. But he started sharing some of the things that he's been practicing. And I went right back into my hot tub, Brian. Yes, I have a hot tub, everybody. And I sat in my hot tub, which is my favorite place to be with my wife and the Holy Spirit and my family, my friends. And I was sitting alone in my hot tub. And and as I sat there, I put into practice some of the things that Brian had just taught me that morning. And I, I said, Holy Spirit, I give you permission. Take me back to when I was five and three quarters And I was, that first night when I went up into the dining hall and up the stairs with all these huge kids and I was just a little five-year-old, and just this lump came up into my throat. My issues of abandonment, my issues of rejection just all came raging to the surface. And I just sat there. And I realized family's not necessarily something that I really am... willing to go there at a deep level, have not been willing to go there at a deep level because of the pain and the wounds of my heart. And some of you have been hurt by family. And family doesn't, family to some is like, wow, family, family's everything. But family to me means you're going to get ripped away from it and then have to come back and try to reprocess in. That's what family means to me. And that little achy-breaky little orphan that a five and a half years old, processed with the Holy Spirit and forgave my parents again and forgave the people that I had experienced abandonment and rejection from, that has then led to a pattern of me expecting abandonment and rejection over and over and over and over again in my life so that I'll reject you before you reject me and so on and so forth. But folks, how many of you know that just because my experience of family was not good, that does not mean that family's not good In fact, I need healing so that I can discover the beauty of family because God loves family and God calls the church family. I'm not going to let my woundedness dictate the standard of the beautiful things that God calls beautiful. Some of you have been through divorce, so the idea of, of church being the bride of Christ, it's like, are you kidding me? Some of you, you know the church is a temple. You've defiled your temple so badly, you're like, I don't want to go into that. I don't want to be part of the temple of God. That's just an area of defilement, whatever it is. We've each got wounds, we've each got hurts. Why? Because church is not perfect. Because I'm in it and you're in it. But I just ask that the Holy Spirit right now would come, touch your hearts. And that the Holy Spirit would come and heal the wounds like he's doing with me. That the Holy Spirit will come and restore the beauty of church and the beauty of organization so that we can celebrate that our mission is in the marketplace and our ministry is in the marketplace, but we can also celebrate those who are called to be paid to organize church and not grumble and complain about them but recognize that they're doing the best that they can do and, and, and offer ourselves, how can we support? How can we make it better? Folks, I want to ask you on, on in the few weeks leading up to us going to two services, steward the complaint in your heart if there is one, steward it well. Let this season, this narrow place, Psalm 4 verse 1 says, you enlarge me in the narrow place, O Lord. You enlarge me in the narrow place. Folks, as a church, we're going to make some changes. We're, going to be, we're being forced to. Our kids' ministry is just jam-packed. Our parking lot is jam-packed. It might not be jam-packed in here, but it's getting pretty jam-packed. We're being forced into change. Let the change become something that causes your experience of your church family to be expanded and enlarged and your joy to be full so that in six months' time, when more of your friends are able to enjoy what you're doing, or maybe not your friends, but the friends of the people that are next to you, when people are getting saved, when more people are getting healed, when more people are being delivered, let all of that become something of great joy. And you look back and go, I'm so glad we embraced that season of change. I'm so glad we embraced and stepped up our organization. I'm so glad that we stepped up our servanthood. And I'm so glad that I stepped up my willingness to serve in whatever capacity. I'm just so glad because look at the way we've multiplied and look at the joy that's exploding as a result. Amen? Amen. Folks, I want to just invite Jess and Jackie just to come up in a moment and and just come on up, you guys, or Jackie, come up. But I want to just take a moment for those of you who, like me, have experienced negative experiences in areas concerning words of metaphorical comparison the church is a family and your first initial thought is, well, I don't want to be part of that because I don't find the word family very healthy because I had a bad experience of family. For those of you who hear the bride of Christ and you're like, well, that, that, that sucks because actually I had a horrible experience being a bride Or being a bridegroom. For those of you who you hear a statement like, church is a beautiful organization, you're like, I don't want anything to do with anything that's organized. I hate organization. I want to invite you now, this morning, to do business with the Holy Spirit. And if that's you, if there's any of you that one of those words or any of the comparisons tweaks you, upsets you like it does with me. I want you to just come out here to the front this morning and just do business with Jesus. Let's come on out to the front, any of you that would like to deal with the law before you go and before we go. People that have been hurt by organized church, I want you to come out to the front. People who've been hurt by uh, full-time ministers of the gospel, I want you to come out here to the front. People that have been hurt by full-time worship leaders, I want you to come out here to the front. People have been hurt by you had a season where you went full-time and it didn't work out and it hurt you. I want you to come out to the front. People who, like me, have experienced really, really hard, horrible experiences within family. I want you to come out to the front. Folks, those of you that have had broken experiences in whatever way that has led to you just finding areas of the church really hurtful. Oh, thank you, Holy Spirit. I have something right here. Those of you who've been burned by church putting an over-demand on you to serve, where you felt like you've served and 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 it's never been enough for your leaders and they've just, it's just, it's just become something that's just so deep, such a deep wound in your heart. I just want you to come out here to the front and let's spend some time. And I'd like to ask the prayer ministry team if you could come out here to the front. I'm gonna hand over to Jackie to close out the meeting, Um, but God bless you. I'm gonna come and minister as well too.